Man, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, uh, we are in a series called The Struggle is Real. And I trust that if you were here last week that you were able to find some victory over the struggle in your head, uh, the struggle in our mind, the struggle for our thoughts, continuing to pray that you would be able to put God's word into action to take your thoughts captive, to take authority over them. Because really, our thoughts is where everything begins. It's where life begins. If you missed last week, man, be sure and check out that podcast online. We'll write some examples of the hashtag, the struggle is real, just in case you missed out last week. Uh, go ahead and put that first picture up for us, Sunday. Okay, this is from Instagram. We're going to use this instead of Twitter this week because it shows better on the screen. Uh, this was one of the Instagram posts with this hashtag. said, I swear it was Friday like nine minutes ago. Hashtag, the struggle is real. It's already Sunday, but hey, we got an extra day this week. So Monday's off, so it's not as bad being as far from Friday. So go ahead and put the next one up for us. Second hashtag, the struggle is real, said, I walk around like everything is fine, but deep down inside my shoe, my sock is sliding off. Hashtag, the struggle is real. Anybody else been there? Uh, if you wear no-show socks, I hate no-show socks because they are always falling off my feet. Uh, next one for us. Says, it's so awkward when you say goodbye to loved ones on the phone and you're like, I love you, and they're like, thank you for choosing Domino's. Hashtag, the struggle is real. Uh, Loved ones at Domino's, man, that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, and last one for us, Instagram picture, day after leg day, doing the penguin waddle. If you uh, work out, leg day is legendary, uh, and the penguin waddle afterwards. Hashtag, the struggle is real. So we're having some fun with this uh, kind of statement from the culture, but today we're going to look at a very real struggle that we all face. As you see, we're going to be taking communion together at the end of our service today. But today, we're going to talk about the struggle with the flesh. Last week, we talked about a very specific part of the struggle with the flesh, the struggle with the mind. But today, we're going to be talking about the struggle with the flesh in general, or more specifically, the struggle between the spirit and the flesh. Have you ever told God that you were going to do something? You were going to read your Bible every day. You were going to begin to tell others about him. You were going to stop a particular sin like lying or gossiping. You were going to tithe regularly. You were going to pray every day. You made a commitment, a promise to God, and you didn't fulfill that commitment. Anybody else in the house, honest, show of hands, hey, I made a promise to God, and I haven't walked it out. Most of us, okay, if you raised your hand, you were lying and going to hell. You're a liar. I'm just kidding. Uh, man, we all have done it, right? We've all tried to tell God, God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to worship you. God, I'm going to stop doing this thing. God, I, I'm going to give you time every day. And for whatever reason, we fail to fulfill that commitment. Why? Because the struggle is real. There's a war going on inside of you every day. In fact, almost every minute of every day, and it's the war that goes on inside of me. It's the war that goes on inside of every believer, the war between the spirit and the flesh. For some of you, your spirit and your flesh are at war right now in this instant. Your spirit wants to lean in and take notes and expect God to speak to you, but the flesh wants something different. The flesh wants to think about where you're going for lunch. Flesh wants to think about how comfortable the bed was this morning. Flesh wants to analyze whether we have the air conditioner at the right temperature. The flesh wants to think about the Memorial Day cookout you're going to tomorrow. The flesh wants to zone out and take a nap, right? So there's this war between the spirit, which is calling you to be resourced today, to be empowered today, to be spoken to through the Holy Spirit and the flesh that says, I can tune out this week. It's a, it's a holiday weekend. 
Why did I even come to church? I could be in the bed. Look how many people didn't come to church. They're at the lake, and I'm stuck in this building. Why am I here? The struggle is real. And we need to be aware of it. We need to understand that it's going on. The thing is, you're a Christian. You're born again. You love God. Why does this happen? Shouldn't we be a little further along? Don't we feel sometimes like, man, I shouldn't be distracted like this. I shouldn't be thinking about the ball game. I shouldn't be thinking about the inner tube. I shouldn't be thinking about this thing. I should be ready to tune in to what God has to say. But it happens because there's a constant war going on inside of you. An age-old struggle that will not end until we leave this life and go on to the next one. Your flesh wages against your spirit day after day after day after day. And I know that that sounds really depressing. My goal is not to depress you today, but I do want you to be aware of it. I want you to know that if you're ever going to get victory in the battle over the flesh, you have to be aware that the battle is going on. You need to know the struggle is real. So while we're already a bit depressed, I told you to turn to Romans 7. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Romans 7 is probably one of the most depressing sections of Scripture. Outside of the book of Job, it probably is the most depressing passage that you can find in the Bible. Why would my pastor have me turn there? Well, I actually believe that it's not supposed to be depressing. I believe it's intended to be encouraging if we look at it the right way. So starting Romans chapter 7, verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. What I want to do. I want to read my Bible. I don't do it. I want to praise and worship God, but I don't do it. I want to tithe. I want to give. I want to be generous. But sometimes I don't do it. This doesn't have to just be spiritual things. This can be beneficial things. I want to work out. I want to have leg day. I want to know what the penguin waddle is like. But I don't do it. I want to eat right. I want to eat healthy. I want to work on my education. I want to save money. All these things that we aspire to do, all these things that we know that we should do, all these things that there's a desire inside of us to do, and yet sometimes, if we're honest, we don't do them. So the Apostle Paul, in this moment of honesty, he says, there's a lot of things I want to do, but I don't do the things that I want to do. And then he goes on in verse 15. He says, but what I hate, I do. What I hate. I hate being dishonest. I hate stealing. I hate oversleeping and coming to church late. I hate gossiping. I hate tearing down my friends. I hate getting distracted during my pastor's message. I hate eating poorly. I hate having road rage. Anytime somebody cuts me off, I hate the anger that comes up inside me. I hate all these things, and yet I find myself continuing to do them. And here's the Apostle Paul, probably the man who God used greatest in all of the New Testament outside of Jesus. The man who accomplished the most of anybody in Scripture. And he says, even though he did so much for God's glory, even though he led so many people to Christ, even though he did miracle after miracle, even though he planted churches and traveled the world as a missionary, even though he laid his life on the line for the cause of Christ day after day after day, he said, you know what, there's some stuff that I want to do that I'm not doing. And there's some stuff that I don't want to do, that I'm stuck in. The struggle is real. Verse 18, he goes on to say, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in, or excuse me, I skipped verse 16 and 17. He says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So the law's there to, to help me, to, to, to regulate me, to tell me how to get things right. Verse 17, he says, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in 
me. Oh, as Christians, that's terrible news, isn't it? Jesus Christ died on a cross, and he nailed sin to the cross so that we don't have to sin anymore. He took it to the cross. He died for your sin and for my sin, and yet Paul says there's still sin living in me. Jesus put it to death, but I keep bringing it back to life. Man, that's discouraging. It's not what we want to know. It's not what we want to believe, but it's something we need to be aware of. Verse 18, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. See, the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a Christian, and that is very good. And there's a lot of good in your spirit, but in your sinful nature, in your flesh, there is nothing good there. He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does this sound like you this morning? Does this register in your heart that all these good things that I keep telling God, this is going to be the year where I read through the Bible in a year. This is going to be the year where I get in shape and glorify you in my body. I'm still working on that one. This is going to be the year where I really step out and I give consistently. This is going to be the year where I get plugged in and I serve. This is going to be the year where I join a small group. This is going to be the year where I tell people at work about Jesus. This is going to be the year, and all of a sudden it's May, and it's like, well... Guess we'll wait till next year's New Year's resolutions. Why? Because the struggle is real. And all these things that we want to do, if we're not careful, we discover that we're not doing them. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I want, or what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In my heart, I want what's right. In my heart, I want to glorify God. I want to do it. I want to be in his presence. I want to memorize scripture. I want to learn more about him. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to serve. I want to get rid of this sin habit. I want to break this addiction. I want to believe that Jesus can break every chain. Inside, in my heart, that's what I desire. But my actions aren't living up to the thing that I want. Why is this? Verse 23, he says, I see another law at work in the members of my body. Waging war, there's a struggle inside you. Waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then he goes on to say this, such an honest evaluation. Verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. Can I just be honest with you this morning? If you feel like you're messed up, if you feel like you're jacked, if you feel like you're twisted and messed up inside, this is a great church for you to be at. Because everybody else in this room feels the same way. We are wretched. There is no perfect person in this building except the person of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one. The rest of us miss it. The rest of us have a struggle. And sometimes I think that, that we feel like we can't live up to church. We can't live up to this expectation. We can't come and put on this front. We can't be this fake person. You don't have to. Paul wasn't. Paul said, man, I'm wretched. I'm jacked inside, and yet look how much God used him. Look what God did in his life. Look how much glory God brought to himself despite the struggle that Paul found himself in. Verse 25, he wraps it up. He says, thanks be to God through through Jesus Christ, our Lord, excuse me. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And if Paul was writing this passage today, he to finish the chapter with one more verse, verse 26, hashtag, the struggle is real. It's real, guys. You are in a struggle. 
There is a war waging within your heart between the spirit which God has created in you, has put in you, is connected to the Holy Spirit, your spirit person which is eternal, and this sin nature which is going to die. It's going to remain here when we go on to the next world. What a discouraging passage you may be saying. You may be saying, man, I came to church today to get encouraged. I came to church for my pastor to lift me up. I came to church to feel like I can do it. Why are you putting me down? Why are you discouraging so much? Well, I believe the truth is this passage is not intended to discourage us, but to encourage us. And I believe what I want you to hear today is I believe what Paul wanted his readers to know when he wrote this 2,000 years ago, and that's this. this is the first thing for you to write down this morning, I'm telling you the same thing that I want to tell you this morning. You are not alone. You are not alone. In your failure, in your discouragement, in your lack of ability to live up to last week's message. Maybe last week you raised your hand and you said, I'm going to win this battle in my thought life. I'm going to defeat this thing, this area. I'm committing this to God. And by Tuesday you've forgotten all about it. And you've fallen back into those same patterns. And you come back to church and you're just a little more discouraged. Well, I'm not going to commit anything to God this week because I don't want to break his promise. I'm not going to go before the Lord. I'm not going to worship this week because I feel like a hypocrite. I'm not going to take notes this week because I know I'm not going to put it to practice anyway. And you're discouraged today. I want you to know that you are not alone. You're not the only one who feels this way. In fact, at some point in time in a Christian life, all of us feel this way. Now, maybe today you don't feel this way. Maybe today you're on that spiritual high, and you're at that place where you are close to God, and you've been in the Spirit this week, and you are walking in victory, and you put last week's message into practice, and you're discovering all that God can do. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to discourage you and say, man, you're going to fall again. What I am saying is if and when that day comes, don't beat yourself up. Don't hate yourself. Don't be discouraged. Trust and believe, God, that you are not alone. You're not alone. The enemy would love to isolate you. He would love to tell you that there's something wrong with you. He'd love to convince you that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of grace. You may be defeated thinking, how how can I call myself a Christian when I don't even read the Bible regularly? How can I call myself a Christian and I can't even get over this one sin that I just do over and over and over again? How can I call myself a Christian when I'm struggling with this? If everybody at church knew what I was going through, they wouldn't even talk to me. If everybody at church knew what I did Friday night, they wouldn't even be my friend anymore. If anybody knew who I really was, they wouldn't even look me in the eye. And that's the defeat that you're feeling today. I want you to know that you are not alone. Don't let the enemy isolate you. Don't let him tell you that you're the only one who feels this way, that you're the only one who struggles with this, that you're the only one who feels like a failure. You're the only one that struggles. You're not alone. You feel today like you're just not worthy of God's grace. Well, guess what? You're not. You're not worthy of God's grace. I'm not worthy of God's grace. That's what makes it grace. The amazing thing about the grace is that none of us deserve it, that none of us live up to it, that none of us walk in it fully, and yet he freely gives it to us anyway. He freely extends his grace to you. He freely washes you with his grace. He freely covers you in his grace. He freely wraps you in his grace. He freely surrounds you with with his grace, not because you're worthy of it, but because he loves you. And that's the only reason He needs to extend his grace to you. So if you feel like you're struggling and you're losing the struggle with the flesh today, second thing I want you to write down is this. Rest 
in his grace. Rest in his grace today. Man, it's a holiday weekend. It's all about some rest. I'm sleeping in tomorrow in Jesus' name. Praise God. Man, going, going to have a, a birthday party. Going to be out there, man. Going to have some stuff off the grill. I'm resting tomorrow. It's going to be great. But I'm not just going to physically rest. I'm calling you as your pastor to rest spiritually in the grace of God this weekend. To rest in his grace. To know that, no, you don't measure up. Yes, you've blown it and you've missed it in some areas. Yes, you're struggling in some areas. But it's okay because God's grace covers. God did not save you thinking you were going to be perfect from the moment he saved you. He saved you knowing you were going to need his grace tomorrow and next week and next year and throughout your life. And he saved you anyway. He covered you in his blood anyway. He extended his grace to you anyway. Not because you would measure up to it, but because he loves you. Rest in his grace this morning. Sometimes I think that, that as a pastor... Maybe I'm too good at burdening God's people with to do this and to do this. And I'm trying to give you God's word and I'm trying to strengthen you. But I never want to get to the place where it feels like you just walk out of here with a to-do list. Because if all you have is a to-do list of the things that I need to do to be a good Christian, you're going to fail. Only comes through the power of God. It only comes through his grace. It only comes through his spirit living in you, enabling you and empowering you to walk it out. So rest in his grace this morning. You know what the same Apostle Paul said in a different letter that he wrote when he was talking about his struggle with the flesh? First Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He's talking to God about his struggle, about his failure. And this is what he says God said to him. And I believe God says this to you this morning. Lean in and hear me this morning, Christian, if you are struggling. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. If you feel weak today, guess what? That's why God chose you. God didn't choose the one with all the strength. God didn't choose the one who had it all together. God doesn't extend his grace to the one who is perfect. He extends his grace to the one who is weak. And he says that my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my perfection. I will boast all the more gladly about all the ways that I got to get it right for God. No. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. That is completely upside down thinking, right? We don't boast in our weakness. We boast in our strength. We boast in our talent. We boast in the things we get right. We don't boast in the ways that we fail to measure up. But Paul says, I boast in my weakness. Why? Because God's grace is made perfect in my weakness. It's made whole. It's made complete. Why? So that Christ's power may rest in me. His grace is sufficient for you this morning, Christian. What does sufficient mean? It's enough. His grace is enough for your perversion. His grace is enough for your weakness. His grace is enough for your mediocrity. His grace is enough for your complacency. His grace is enough for your discouragement. His grace is enough for your depression. His grace is enough for your sickness. His grace is enough for your disease. His grace is enough for your lack. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for you today, and it's sufficient for me. Aren't you glad his grace is enough? Aren't you glad that's sufficient to cover whatever you need this morning? Church, I'm calling you to rest in his grace. 
to take a deep breath and just remember his grace and say thank you for his grace and receive again afresh and anew his grace because it's sufficient. It's enough for whatever you're going through. But not only is his grace enough to accept me and to forgive me of my sins, not only is his grace enough to sustain me through the struggle, I believe that his grace is enough to move me forward into victory. I don't believe that God gave me his grace to stay in defeat and discouragement, but I believe he's extended me grace to pull me towards victory. And I will not have full and total victory in this life, but he's calling me to victory. He's calling me from glory to glory. Jimmy said earlier that greater things are still to come. Man, that there's something better yet to come, and I believe it's true because of his grace. I believe that his grace is dragging me from my old glory to a greater glory, and from that glory to the next glory. He's calling me and pulling me to victory, and I believe that it's not just me. It's for you. It's for his people. Realize that you are not alone. Rest in God's grace. There's one last encouragement I want to give you in today's message. Today, one last principle I want you to be aware of as you understand and realize that the struggle is real. If you are not doing the things you want to do, if you are doing the things that you don't want to do, if you are walking in sin, in junk, in defeat this morning, if you are in the struggle and it feels like the flesh is winning and the spirit is not, if you feel like you're getting it wrong more than you're getting it right, I have one last encouragement for you. So we get ready to wrap up our message today. When it comes to the spirit versus the flesh, understand this. Whatever you feed will lead. Some of you need to write that down. Whatever you feed will lead. What do I mean by that? If you are caught up in the flesh and the flesh is winning and you are saying, hey, here's all the things that I don't want to do and here's all the things that I do want to do, and, man, the scale is tipping over to this side. There's a little more on this side of what I don't want than there is on this side of what I do want. Whatever you feed will lead. God is calling you to victory. God is calling you to a better place. He's extending his grace to you today. But you will not get to that victory. You will not get to that greater grace. You will not be pulled from this glory to that glory if you just feed the flesh. Whatever you feed will lead. Here's what I believe. I believe that emotion follows decision. I went to the gym a few times this week. I'm trying. I'm struggling. The struggle is real, but I'm working on it. And you know what? There wasn't one day where I went to the gym where I was like, yes, I'm going to the gym. Sweet, I get to go to the gym. Not one time was I excited I went to the gym. But you know what? Every time I walked out of the gym, yes, I went to the gym. Yes, that was a victory. Why? Because emotion follows decision. I didn't have the emotion first. I made the decision through the emotion. I pushed past the feeling, and I got to the victory. There's many mornings where, believe it or not, yes, I'm a pastor, but I wake up at about 4, 4.30 on Sunday mornings. I don't walk, jump out of the bed on Sunday and say, yes, it's Sunday. Why did I decide to do this? Why am I out of the bed at such an ungodly hour? God, where are you? You're not even awake. Why am I up? Right? This is how I feel, okay? I'm just being real. But you know what? There's not a Sunday that goes by where I walk out of this building and I say, why did I come? Why? Because emotion follows decision. And if you choose to feed your spirit, your spirit will get stronger. But if you choose to feed your flesh, your flesh is going to get stronger. So whatever you feed will lead. And if you take an honest look at your life today and you say, I'm walking a lot more in the flesh 
than I am in the spirit. I'm not here to put you down. I'm not here to say you're a failure. I'm not here to say you're not worthy to be a Christian because I'm not worthy to be a Christian. But what I am here to do is tell you God's got something better. And whatever you feed will lead. Are you feeding your flesh? Are you feeding your spirit? If you say, man, it's so hard to read the Bible, just read it anyway. Because as you read it, you're feeding your spirit. And you may not feel it in the moment. You might not see, man, things are flying off the page. And, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Those are great days in the Word of God. Not every day in the Word of God is like that. Sometimes it's words on a page. But it's getting in you. And you don't always feel your spirit getting stronger. But I promise you, he's getting stronger when you feed him. Who are you spending your time with? See, I don't believe that we're just called to spend time with Christians. Man, I believe that I'm called to go after the lost. And I need to be rubbing shoulders with the lost. But the majority of my time doesn't just need to be with Christians. It needs to be with people who are causing my flesh to die and my spirit to live. People who are helping me to feed my spirit. There's Christians I don't need to hang out with. They're good people. I'm not not ragging on them. But they're not going to make me closer to God. I don't need to spend a lot of time with them. It doesn't mean I never associate with them. I'm not saying like you start cutting people out of your life. But who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you doing life with? Are they feeding your flesh or are they feeding your spirit? Because whatever you feed will lead. You need to begin to evaluate what are you feeding yourself? What are you watching? What are you listening to? I'm not one of these guys that if you listen to secular music, that's of the devil and you're going to hell. I don't don't believe that. But what I do believe is the things that I put into my mind are going to affect the way that I live. And if I'm feeding my flesh a bunch of junk, if I'm feeding my flesh a bunch of sin, if I'm feeding my flesh a bunch of lust, if I'm feeding my flesh a bunch of anger, if that's what I'm feeding, then my flesh will be leading. But if I'm feeding my spirit, if I'm listening to to, to worship music, if I'm putting on something that's speaking to the person that God has called me to be, not the person that I used to be, then my spirit is getting stronger. What are you putting in? What are you feeding? Because if you feel like you're struggling right now and you feel like every time I promise God something, every time I tell him something, I miss it. And I'm just not even going to try anymore. I'm going to show up to church and fill a seat, but I'm done making commitments to God. I'm done trying because it's defeat after defeat. And I've been on this roller coaster for 30 years and I never get anywhere. Can I tell you right now, it's because you've been feeding your flesh and not your spirit. I don't say that judgmentally. I don't say that looking down on you. I say that to help you diagnose the problem. This is where I'm at, but this is where God's called me to be. Because whatever you feed is going to lead. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What are you sowing to? What are you investing in? Are you investing in your flesh? Are you investing in all the things that your flesh desires? Are you putting that into you? Are you putting something that's going to grow your spirit and it's going to strengthen you? Whatever it is, whatever you feed will lead. You've got to know that and believe that. I want to finish up by looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. This is going to evaluate our spiritual condition, because see, most of us in this room are Christians. Don't, don't get distracted as the worship team comes down. Most of in this room know Jesus, and if you do, this passage is going to help you see who you used to be. But maybe some of us in this room don't. 
And if you're not a Christian today, I want this passage to speak to you to help you understand where you're at. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, this is speaking to Christians, you were, what's the word? Dead in your transgressions and sins. In other words, before Christ saved me, I was dead in sin. And so was everybody else in this room. And so if you're not a Christian today, the Bible says you are dead in your sins. That may not sound really good, but there's hope and there's life because God did not leave you there. He did not abandon you in your dead state. Verse 2, it says, in which you used to live, again speaking to Christians, when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We're all in the same place. Heard it said that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. I love that. All of us were dead. All of us lived for the spirit of the air, the air that, that, that wars against the Holy Spirit. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, because of his great love for you this morning, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Can somebody say amen? Isn't it awesome that God who is rich in mercy made you alive with Christ even when you were dead in your transgressions? If you're here today and you're far from God, the Bible says you're dead in sin. What does that mean by that? What that means is you can't live up to the word of God. Your spirit cannot do this. You can't try hard enough. You can't make enough lists. You can't decide, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it happen. You are going to fail. You can't do it without him. But if you give your life to him, if you allow him to save you, he's going to breathe his spirit into you. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. The struggle is still real. It doesn't mean you're never going to miss it. But now you've got the ability. Now you've got the power. Now there's an engine in you that allows his grace to sustain you, that allows his grace to carry you forward. It's by grace you have been saved by a God who is rich in mercy and abounding in love. Church, this morning, I need you to know you can rest in his grace. You are not alone, but you need to be aware. Whatever you feed will lead. God is calling us to be a church that is led by the spirit that is not led by the flesh. If each of us would take our responsibility. If each of us would receive his grace and rest in his grace and allow his spirit to live through us and begin to realize I need to feed that spirit and begin to starve the flesh, what could God do in a community that is dying to go to hell? What could God do in a community that is hurting and far from God? What could he do in a community that needs Jesus? I believe there's no limit. To what he can do. I believe the same things that we saw in the book of Acts can happen today. I believe revival can take place not just in our city, but in our nation. I believe that God's got something up his sleeve and greater things are yet to come, but we're not going to walk in them if we keep feeding the flesh. So I encourage you this morning, whatever you feed will lead. Let's feed the spirit. Let's walk in the spirit. Let's believe him for greater things. Amen. Let's pray.